Previously on Cast and Wax. I'm going to be taking a leave of absence from the show uh, because I, I really want to work on this law that I have an idea for to outlaw insects from the United States of America. Well, you do understand that that's a terrible idea. From the future, Senator Smith Smith, part-time game show host from the future. Uh, hi, Frank. Hey, how's it going? Going kind well. How about you? Good, good, good. I do think I've learned the lesson. Great, that's great, great. What's the lesson? You should always tell people that you want to kill them. Oh, hey there. The, the Silver Rose. I'd love to. Unfortunately, um, Roy Sinjin did die, but he did record all of his Where Are They Known histories in advance, so we will still be able to play those. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Senate. This is the Senate Subcommittee on the Raid Act with uh, me, that's Senator Bob Applepie from Vermont presiding. I want to thank you all for coming to work today. I know that's not what we're always... Uh, most known for, but it uh, looks like we have a good turnout, at least four or five, are you staying? Four people. Um, all right, so let's get down to business. We have some testimony uh, that we're going to hear, and I think we're even going to get down to legislating, which is really the part of the job that I got most excited about when I joined. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Um, and I think we're dealing with insects, which are something that I think the American people has had uh, been a real concern for the American people over the years. Most good Americans I know have had to deal with insects at least once or twice in their lives. So uh, let's introduce ourselves. We have, I believe, the senator from the South, John Jacob Jingle. Hello, and welcome to the Senate. Yes. Thanks for showing up. I'm, I'm glad you could make it. And I think we have the senator from, from ne Nebraska 7 from the United States of the future uh, Senator Smith Smith, is it really you? Yes, this is Senator Smith Smith right here, game show host and senator from Nebraska 7. Well, it's, it's, I tell you, it's an honor to have you here, and I think the American people uh, are really going to have a lot to do with the future in the years to come, so it's really important to have you here. And I think that, I thought we had, are you, are you staying? Are you staying? Are you, do you? Do you work here or are you a senator? Uh, don't worry about him, it's his loss. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it is. All right, and we're here to hear testimony from Mr. Jordan D. White of New York State, one of our best 50, um, who's going to be discussing insects. Man, um, so uh, should we should we get down to business or should we should we read? Some, why don't we just plunge in? What do you think? What do we plunge into the the, the lawmaking, what do you say? I do believe we should. Lawmaking, all right. So we're going to hear testimony about insects. Uh, Mr. White, are you, are you present? Uh, yes, that's me. Should I come up? Yeah, that's the way it works. Um, right. We try to be welcoming. We just let you sit right up here, Mr. Right. White. Okay. Uh, uh, hello. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Jordan D. White, and I'm here to speak on behalf of the RAID Act. The RAID Act. Well, that's, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a coincidence because it isn't at all whatsoever because that's why we asked you here. But funnily enough, that's what we're here to talk about. So why don't we get down to, to brass tacks? Uh, what, sure. what about the RAID Act? Well, uh, the RAID Act is something that I uh, 
I brought to the attention of, of my senator and many other senators, and uh, it's something that I feel very strongly about. It, it, it uh, well, to be totally honest with you, it, it stood for a number of different things over the course of its uh, uh, conception. But right now, I think we've settled on uh, radical action in insect destruction. Radical action. So. Now, I, I know that my constituents, like the American people, which they're a part of, tend to appreciate uh, consistency and moderation in all things. A radical action, it's a stood for a lot of things. Uh, sell us on this. Well, I, 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 know, I know it sounds a little frightening, but I think insects are very frightening and they deserve a frightened response. When I see an insect, I get frightened, and that makes me... Uh, scaredy want, cat. Yeah, it, well, well I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm the scaredy cat, but I would say that I am scared in the manner that a cat might be scared, and it makes me not want to just react, but want to overreact, and I think that this is the bill that can do that for the American people. What this is the bill that can overreact for the American people? Yes. Well, as an American, I think that overreacting is one of the things we do best, so that, that is a selling point. How would we overreact with this bill? And if Americans didn't overreact, we wouldn't have a job! Exactly true, exactly true. So... Uh, Basically, the concept here is uh, insects have long been a problem. Like I said, they're disgusting. They're gross to look at. They frighten us. They touch our things when we're not around. That's gross. This is a law that would outlaw them completely. Now, what it would mean would be a, a, a number of things, and that's what we're here to discuss. But uh, we've, we've researched it thoroughly. We've written it. Uh, I mean, you could see it's, it's a 300-page document. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you haven't familiarized yourself with all of it, but I'm here as a representative who knows all about it, you can ask any question you want. It would mean that any insect that remains in the United States is immediately guilty of treason and punishable by death, and all American citizens are, uh, what's the word, like deputized to murder those insects on site. Uh, so, well, yeah. I mean, I don't think we need to familiarize ourselves with the whole thing. We don't, normally we just kind of see how it will go over with people and then vote. Mm -hmm. Now, this thing about deputizing, a lot of Americans are, are very lazy, and we don't like to have to do a lot of, of work. I know I would rather have somebody else get rid of the insects for me. It, does this Is this going to involve convincing people to do very much work? Oh, I got a good idea. We can outsource the job overseas. Well, uh, I mean, we could try to get overseas people to come here and kill our insects for us, but I mean... It's more I of a... like it. Yeah, I mean, the question is, can we do that in a timely enough fashion? I mean, if a bug runs out onto your floor, then you pick up your phone, you call the authorities, the authorities notify uh, someone overseas or a company that has from overseas that has already set up shop over here, perhaps. Are they going to get here fast enough before that insect runs you know, back into your walls where it's just scuttling around and, and you can't touch it? Now, I, I myself, like, like I said, am very afraid of bugs. But what I would recommend is if I see a bug run out, I will yell and scream, most likely, in a manner that is associated with women but not exclusive to women because then my wife will run into the room and she will kill the insect for me. So if, if she were not around, then I would be responsible for killing it. But as long as I make sure someone kills it, I feel like I would have done my American uh, duty. What about honey? How would we maintain the honey for the American people that we need to put on sandwiches and uh, honeycomb cereal? That's a good question. And, and to be totally honest with you, it's really just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, because I, I understand that while I don't particularly like to think about insects as being good for anything at all, um, my understanding is that they are good for many things, which is why, built into this act, if you guys were to sign this into law, it wouldn't go into effect immediately. 
um, as most laws don't. It would go into effect at the beginning of uh, 2014. This would be kind of a, an alarm bell for all scientists in the United States that they need to start working on things like how to synthesize honey, how to, how to make synthetic honey-making drones, uh, and indeed how to make uh, synthetic ways to fertilize uh, flowers. And, oh, that's okay. We can see all that technology from the future. We don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. There we go. So that's perfect. If, if that technology exists in the future, the senator from the future, I'm sure, will be willing to, well, if not give it to us for free, I'm sure at least let a corporation come in and, and sell it to us for an exorbitant amount of money. And that's what America's all about right there. Now, one of the most important things, I think, when we put any legislation through is how it looks for us. And now, honestly, there are some concerns that you've been working regularly in the past few years with a man who's... He had a TV program which was very popular overseas with foreigners, yes. first of all. And, and I, again, that's someone who's not American, who... And it was canceled when he tried to assassinate the mayor of Japan live on air. Uh, okay, well, that hasn't been proven legally uh, because all charges were dropped. I, I understand all charges were dropped. I just want to make, make you aware and make my colleagues aware that, of what the situation looked like and the fact that it looked like to, to most everyone who knew anything about the situation at all, it looked like the charges were dropped because um, you, you both had a friend named um, Rory Sinjin who was funding the entire reconstruction of Japan. Yes, okay, I thought this might come up. And I've actually got uh, some evidence here that I think speaks to this, uh, this issue. Um, if, okay. if, if I can be permitted to, to play this for you. Oh, yes, go ahead. Okay. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. On April 1st, 2099, the world comes to an end when Stuart Bernstein accidentally activates the Destructor Ray 537. The device was fired inaccurately and missed the practice target, hitting instead the universe, which it destroyed. Let's hear it. And, uh, this is, this is the practice ray. This is the practice ray room. This is the, uh, this is where we test the ray that will, uh, destroy the, the Earth. Now, uh, it's just a 531. You can't do anything with a 531 destructo ray. Now, what's really important here is that you gotta test the fire alarm, because this is the only thing standing between you and the destruction of the Earth. If the ray now, goes the off prematurely... that was a good destructo ray. The fire alarm will ring. Any questions? Oh, uh, but the 533. Okay. Oh, that was the best you one You seem of all. to know what you're doing, so I'm going to go off to the water cooler for a while. Think you can handle it for a minute? I'm totally. I'm the fire marshal here. Have you boys checked your smoke detector every two months like I told you last two months ago? Oh, uh, yeah, we got the fire detector right here on these uh, destructo rays. It's Let's try three of them at once just now. to check it. Unfortunately, the world was never the same thereafter as it was non-existent. If only they had checked their smoke detectors and left the safety on their destructor rays, this never would have happened. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Hello, I'm Rory Sinjin. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. On April 8th, 1994, Kurt Cobain, lead singer of the rock band Nirvana, is found dead three days after committing suicide in his Seattle home. His death launched a worldwide outpouring of grief among millions of Nirvana fans. There's a reason why he committed suicide, but what? 
Why would such a successful man have killed himself? Fooled you guys! <laughs> I was just lying there on the ground for a couple of days. I'm really alive. Mr. Cobain! <laughs> Kurt, Mr. Cobain! Kurt, your chest is magnificent! Yes, I know. Isn't it shiny and smooth and... But wait. Um, Kurt, what's that big, hard, tumorous thing over there? Oh, it's just a, just a pimple. Wait a second. That's, that's odd. I hope it isn't breast cancer. Men can get breast cancer too, Mr. Cobain. You may have lived only to die again. Breast cancer, I can't take it! That's it! I'm gonna kill myself! Great, now I don't have to. I'm Courtney Love. Uh, thus began the second morning of the second death of the Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. Uh, and it was very sad all over again, although slightly less sad than the first time because we already kind of all sat it out. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't shoot just yet. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Casting Wax. And speaking of people doing crazy and rash things like trying to commit suicide or accidentally blowing up the entire universe, someone I know who always makes the wrong, rash decision is a gentleman named Frank Allen. By which I mean, when one action is called for, it is in fact the equal and opposite reaction that he goes for. When it's time to check the smoke detectors in his house, what he does is destroy all the smoke detectors in his house. When it's time to check and make sure that he doesn't have breast cancer, he surgically implants cancerous cells into his own breasts. If one were to find out that he were in favor of something, you would in fact go, well then in that case, I'm going to do the exact opposite because he's completely wrong about all things. What are the kinds of things that he is in favor of? I don't know. But I have an inkling that, I don't know, if one was to, to float the possibility of getting rid of all insects, he probably would be against that idea. He'd probably say, you know, oh, it's bad for ecosystems and, you know, science and stuff. Well, you know, don't worry about any of those things. You know, do, do important things like check to make sure your smoke detectors work, make sure that you, as a gentleman, do not have breast cancer, and do not listen to Frank Allen, because Frank Allen is wrong. Thank you very much. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. I just didn't like the part where he was talking about, you know, all that science and ecosystem stuff. You just don't do that in politics. Get all pointy-headed and intellectual and all that. Now, Senator Smith, Smith, don't don't get all worked up. Don't get all worked up. This is, this is a subcommittee hearing. We're not supposed to get emotional. Well, science is very hard to sell to Americans. Now, he was talking about Frank Allen, who, as we know, is the man who tried to assassinate the, the mayor of Japan, which didn't didn't go over well for America in the, in the international scene. But, he, but, but, sir, I'm sorry to interrupt, but if I may, I, I, I have to say, the reason that didn't go over well is because of insects. If we didn't have insects, I think America's position would be better. Imagine this, if you will, right? We outlaw all insects in America. The insects, obviously, only criminal insects are going to stay. All the law-abiding insects are going to leave our country. Well, I think that that's, that's a little bit stupid, because I don't think insects are intelligent enough to understand laws. I mean, insects are really very dumb. All they do is they're, they're just auto automatons, almost. They just fly around and try to, to propagate themselves. Am I, I don't know. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with a fruit fly? We're an intelligent country. And I, you know, I think insects might be more on the level of people you meet in Pakistan or somewhere foreign like that. But here in America, I don't think we're going to accept that insects can follow or not follow laws. They're well, just there. Well, listen, I, I, I mean, I can't say I agree with all of your points, but if my law is enacted, all the insects will have to leave and go to other countries like Pakistan, and they will fit in possibly better with those people. As long as they're allowed... Allowing the insects to cross their borders, that which, so far, I think we would be the first country in the world 
to, to close our borders to insects. The more we can close ourselves off from the world, the better. I just don't want to get us in trouble with the Pakistani lobby again. Well, I, I, it, it, it didn't really work out for me too well last time. Well, oh. well I, th- I think I think the I think there's some bigger issues that we're not paying attention to here. Because how, how are we going to make sure that all the insects do leave the country if we are saying, as Senator Applepie said, some of the insects are only a little bit dumber than some of our constituents, but that means they're not going to follow orders just like our constituents don't follow the orders we try to give them. That's true, and also, what about the important uh, economic impact of this? Because a lot of people love the American pastime of fishing, and you need, you just need bait when you're fishing. You need insects for things like that, and also some of our foreign friends love to eat insects. Well, okay, again, I, I actually think this will be a boon to the American economy. Because, think of it this way, all insects are outlawed. What are we going to do to to make sure that happens? Well, we're going to have to have some uh, department of insects to make sure that insects are leaving. We're going to have to, as I said, have scientists working on ways to replace insects in the ecosystems. We're going to have to have technology that is sold. You're talking about fly fishing? We're going to need someone to sell those fake flies, and we're going to need someone to make those fake flies. And as long as we make them here in America, we're going to be A-OK. Fake worms for hooks, you know, stuff like that. Let, let's let's pioneer that replacement of insect industry, which needs a better name. We also have to understand the impact on the ant farm industry, the chocolate-covered ant industry. That's it's going to be enormous, S- Senator. If I, if if I may, that's disgusting, and I would like it to be stricken from the record. I don't think we can strick anything from the record based on disgusting. Uh, is that a is that a rule that we can do? I, I'm, oh, I'm not aware. It's, it's uh, definitely a rule. I've had that happen to me before. Oh, is that so? Well, then I suppose we should, but uh, all right. Let's strike it then, I suppose. I mean, now let's let's get into to the details here about your presentation of this. What mm-hmm. led you to, to come to this conclusion about insects? Now, I've been looking over some of your background, and it, it looks like you, you have a program where you actually created a superhero based around bumblebees. Uh, okay, that is... Slightly false. Uh, there was a superhero on one of my, my, my fictional radio programs named Bumblebee. But she was not actually insect-powered in any way. She actually had the ability to shrink and then had energy-based powers that could shoot. And they sort of felt like a sting. And so she identified that with the traits of a bumblebee. But she herself had no bumblebee DNA in her system. There was no radioactive bumblebee kind of situation None of that. And in addition, uh, she also had a lot of sex with a lot of people. So she was a useful member of society, nothing like an insect who are just disgusting. I mean, you, you ask about what inspired me. Let me tell you a bit of a harrowing tale. I was in my apartment one day. I live in New York City. And uh, I saw a cockroach running around on my floor. And as if that weren't enough, it ran onto my couch where I sit. And I was so, I mean, again, I yelled and ran away. And that thing traumatized me. So I don't think that we need, we can, we can if we're a responsible government for the people and, and of the people, we have to make sure that doesn't happen to anyone else again. Well, that is an inspiring horror story of the kind that can definitely get legislation through oftentimes. And, I, I, you know, I just worry about the practicality because you, we could come up with horror stories about wind and uh, we could come up with horror stories about smallpox. 
but we can't. We, we, we haven't tried to eliminate wind, and, well, we have tried to eliminate smallpox, but wind? Wind, you know, wind is not even, I don't even know that wind is real, because, like, have you ever seen it? No. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, insects, I've, unfortunately, I've seen them. And, I, and again, that's the, prob- that's the root of the problem. Like, I don't want to see them. I don't want to, I mean, God forbid one ever touches me. How disgusting would that be? You don't sound like you would be prepared to be part of the insect-destroying army that you're proposing. No, but I, but I, I, have, te- I have tools with me. Uh, I would make sure to have tools prepared. I, I have a, a mallet. Uh, also, I have a can of the household bug killer raid. So based on the evidence of this program that you make, now I've, I've listened to some of this in preparation because well, thank I, you, sir. I, you're, well, you're welcome. I try to prepare well for my job. I mean, you know, you have to understand a little bit of what you're looking at to make laws. So I thought, well, I'm going to make a law about insects. I could at least spend my time listening to some podcasts. Um, now you have a singing cat that normally cats can catch bugs. Yeah, well, he uh, he doesn't wanna. He doesn't want to. Uh, I actually, un- unfortunately, I was afraid that this might come up as well, so I I brought in some uh, evidence about this as well, if I may. Of course, go ahead. Hello, I'm Rory Sinjin. Welcome to WHRW Binghamton. This is This Day in History. On April 15th, 1912, at 2.20 a.m., the British ocean liner Titanic sinks into the North Atlantic Ocean about 400 miles south of Newfoundland, Canada. The massive ship, which carried 2,200 passengers and crew, had struck an iceberg two and a half hours before. Sir! Sir! The whole basement of the boat is filling up with water! Didn't I tell you gentlemen to turn off the faucets? We only have a limited amount of potable water. How will people shower? Sir! There's water everywhere! Don't you know the old phrase, water, water everywhere, so let's all have a drink? That's an excellent idea! There's no need to worry about wasting water at this point! Excellent! We'll store the excess water in our bodies! Excellent work! Don't worry about those buckets, men! Start drinking! And with all 2,200 souls working non-stop, they did drink all of the water that had gotten into the boat, not wasting a single drip. Reminding you not to waste water, this is Rory Sinjin on WHRW Binghamton. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On April 22, 1915, German forces shock Allied soldiers along the Western Front uh, by firing more than 150 tons of lethal chlorine gas against two French colonial divisions in Belgium. This was the first major gas attack by the Germans, and it devastated the Allied line. Oh my god, there is gas everywhere! Sergeant, I hope you brought those gas masks! Quick, quick, put them over your heads! They're just plastic bags, but put them over your heads! Uh, oh, grocery bags? Okay, well, th- th- this better work! Will not breathe in the gas this way! <laughs> Excellent, mine commandant. It seems that our decision to replace their gas masks with plastic bags was an entire success. Now, on to the Maginot Line. Yeah, Sieg Heil! And although those early Nazis did suffer a defeat in the First World War, they did secretly return to the Second World War, where they used plastic bags to suffocate people yet again. The world has still yet to learn that you shouldn't put plastic bags over your head. This is WHRW, Binghamton. But watch out for that iceberg and or gas attack. 
My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And forget about the Titanic, forget about World War One. none of that is really important right now. What matters is the fact that there are cockroaches in Jordan D. White's house, and you might think, why doesn't Skip kill them? And the answer is, once in a while he does. He sees them and he thinks, my goodness, that is like unto a toy, something I can play with and bat around, and it runs, almost as though it has a free will of its own. And sometimes he plays a little too rough, and the cockroach dies. And he, you know, ends up just kind of hitting it and going, oh, this is his toy stopped working. Little clockwork mechanism is no longer functioning. So he leaves the clockwork mechanism, a.k.a. a cockroach, on the ground. And I know you're probably thinking, well, it's wise of him not to flush it down the toilet because one might consider flushing it down the toilet a waste of water, and one should not waste water. And then one might say, well, perhaps he should put it in a plastic bag. And it would be all right to put it in a plastic bag because the cockroach is already dead. It is only living beings that should never put plastic bags over their heads because they could suffocate. In those ways, he is right. And yet, in the other ways, he is not because he just leaves a corpse of a cockroach where anyone can see it. It is disgusting. My name is Roy Singer, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. So as you heard, he, he actually has killed some insects, but he just leaves this dead bug carcass around. And that's just as bad. Again, I didn't see it because as soon as my wife said she saw it, I, I ran and covered my eyes and my ears. But she mentioned it existing and that and it alone was gross enough. So like seeing it, I, I can't even. Okay, but as, as Senator Appleby has already made clear, Americans are very lazy kind of people, though. You know, you can't exactly expect them to do the whole like, job of killing all these like bugs for you. If you can already deputize your own cat to do this, why do we need to go through the expense of deputizing the entire American population? That's a good question. I, I, well, I don't think, when I, when I say deputize, I, I, I think I mean much more, uh, in, a, in a much more casual way, in the sense that, uh, not, not that we're going to go through a deputizing ceremony, and especially not that we're going to send little metal stars to everyone, although that would be pretty cool. That would be um, pretty cool. It, it really would, but, I, but at the same time, I, I think it's, it's just more that you have your duty. It's, it's like uh, jury duty, right? Everybody has to do jury duty, and everybody would have to do insect-killing duty if they saw them. And, and again, my hope is that after the first, you know, let's say, month or so of, of slaughter, that the insects will, will realize this is not in their best interest. And they'll, and they'll follow the letter of the law, and they'll leave the country. But can we expect them to realize that, though? They're not exactly that bright. Well, put yourself in the insect shoes, right? You, Senator, Senator Smith-Smith, right? You're walking down the street, and there's uh, 15 other people walking down the street with you. And every time, every foot or so that you all travel, one of you gets killed. How many people would need to get killed before you decide not to walk down that street? Hmm. What if I had a gun? Uh, you don't. Uh... If you had a gun, you'd be a suspect, so don't, you don't want that. Uh, maybe a rapier? All right, well, you have maybe a rapier. Maybe a really big stick, at least. You've got a big stick. I can right? them off for a while. All right, well, let's say you've got a big stick, but again, these people are getting killed by, uh, I'll say, they're getting killed by a sniper. You win this round. Well, so, but you didn't answer my question. How many have to die? You win this round. Oh, that's right, that's right. I that, can't no, that, that's, that's what I'd say as I'm leaving. Oh, that's what you'd say as you stopped? Okay, so it would just be one. One person would get killed, and you'd say, you win this round, and... Back off? Seven and a half, and you got yourself a deal. All right, seven and a half people. So it's my belief that you're smarter than an insect, but it only took you half of the entire population getting killed before you realized it. So 
I think, you know, it'll be before they die out, they'll just leave. Well, we do have a good, a good history in, in this country of making laws against things that it's not possible to really eliminate. And we also have a history of, of, uh, of, of slaughtering people and, and peoples. We do, and that's really what this country was founded on. I mean, what if we placed it, what if we tried to sell it instead of a law against insects, a war on insects. Uh, in many ways, it would be. This idea. Now, I just want to iron out some concerns here, and I, I want to let you know, and I don't know if you were aware of this, your podcast is actually especially popular with the people of my great state, the great state of Vermont. Oh, I, I was not aware which, of that. Yes, which is the greatest state in the Union, and, and the, the people of Vermont, who I think are the greatest people in the world, love love your program because it actually immortalized one of the events that, that really saved our economy. Oh, yes, of course. Right, with the, the Ann B. Davis Tall Oak Maple Syrup Factory. Uh, the work of uh, a gentleman uh, 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 named Mr. Nathan Van Etten. Nathan Van Etten. And, of course, maple syrup, one of the, one of the most popular uh, alternatives to honey involving no, no insects. Um, and, in fact, Nathan, probably maple syrup is made gross by insects trying to, like, land on it or stuff. Exactly. And they're, they're normally attracted to maple syrup and anything that is sweetened. So this is something that I can, I can honestly say is an appealing point. But I want to make sure as we try to put this law over that everyone who could be seen as being a spokesman for it is someone who we'd want to associate with. Now, can, can that be said as much about Nathan Van Etten as it can be said about you? I think it can. Um, you know, Nathan is, uh, uh, I mean, you, you, from Vermont, so you know that Nathan is good in an emergency, and I actually have some evidence prepared that, that shows that he's good in an emergency. Okay, well, let's hear that. Okay. Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten. Season 2, Lesson 6. Disaster Distresses Nathan Van Etten. By Charles Berman, Daniel Schwartz, and quite possibly Pete Bowers. Action is what defines great men. All great accomplishments are achieved through action. Action, indeed, is what Nathan Van Etten can look forward to tonight with the concomitant conquest of a nubile female. Am I right, Nathan? Are you talking about killing someone? Um, no. Then right you are, uh, sir? Jane told me to expect an intimate evening at home. So I have brought my most complete set of Warhammer 40,000 game pieces. Conquest will be the order of the day! Yes. A true man acts, acts decisively, and acts on the meaning of a woman's words that he chooses, not the ones that she means. I like you way better than the last voice, new voice. But yeah, I've got everything to beat the pants off of her. No doubt her intentions, as if her intentions matter. Hey there, lover. Come on in. I certainly will, Jane. Help me with this. Be careful. They're heavy, and I wouldn't want you to trip on those impractical shoes. How thoughtful, Nathan. You noticed my shoes, and not my revealing negligee. But what's in these several... <clears throat> he very heavy boxes? A collection of only the finest Warhammer 40,000 miniatures. Games Design Workshop, of course. 
as well as the board, dice, props, and equipment needed for a game of thrilling complexity! This is what you brought to our intimate evening together. You're welcome! It's very intimate, since the fewer players, the more playing time we'll each get! Ha <laughs> ha! We can spread things out on this table once you've cleared the candles and fancy glasses off of it. You mean the silver and crystal I begged my parents to let me use for a romantic evening with you? I just pointed at them! What the sprock is that? It sounds like an avalanche. My parents brought the house cheap because of the nearby fault line. My geology professor warned me this might happen someday. Oh god, Jane, you've lured me into a classic trap. Rocks will fall and now everyone will die. Nathan, I'm scared. We need to... Sweet Christ almighty. Nathan, your paramour is sealed behind a wall of stones and a grandfather clock. You know what you must do. Darn right I do, voice! You must scale these obstacles and take advantage of her. Barring that, you should rescue her to gain credibility later. That will have to wait! First, I need to get these miniatures somewhere safe! Nathan, far be it for me to question a man of action. But, uh, are you really going for the miniatures? They were very expensive! <laughs> oh man, these Chaos Marines are pretty bulky! You've removed the miniatures, Nathan. Now, to the bounty of her fecund bosom. The board is not yet secured, boys. Focus on the important stuff. Besides, you don't need to call Jane names. Not a bad idea. That vast expanse of plywood will be a fine marital couch once you have rescued the fair damsel. I can't make a couch out of wood. <laughs> oh, my back. Nathan, Nathan, are you okay? I'm fine, Jane. Hold on. I'm moving these fake artillery pieces. Be careful digging yourself out. I'm working on a tourniquet for my leg. Jane, I'm glad you're okay, but I don't need to hear about every little thing you do. Of course, darling. I'll conserve my oxygen. <sighs> okay. Now the scale model buildings are safe. I'll get this chair. Nathan, that isn't your chair. Who said it was? It looks comfortable. Nathan, please don't think I'm doubting you. Then stop asking dumb questions. God, I almost wish you were British or telling me to kill someone. I don't understand. Clearly not. All right, from the look of it, I've saved all of the things I bought and that awesome chair. Okay, I guess I'd better see how Jane is doing. Go then, noble knight, and rescue the fair maiden. God, whatever. Oh God, oh God, I barely made it out alive. Took you long enough. Help me pick up these boxes and we can get them back to my place. Nathan, my house just got destroyed and my leg has a compound fracture. Jane, you know what? I am sick to death of people making excuses for themselves. My house got destroyed. I haven't eaten today. I'm just a voice with no physical body. It's all me, me, me all the time. Nathan, my parents- You're doing it again? God, all you ever think about is yourself. The whole time the avalanche was happening, you didn't lift a finger to help me rescue the things in the house that were most important to me. You made me do all of the work. Now you come to me looking for sympathy. Well, guess what, sister? No can do. I am taking my toys and I'm going home. But... 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 
cry me a river and cock the wagon and float it, Jane. I am out of here. And so we leave Nathan as he leaves Jane, playing hard to get for her wanton hungers. Well, I have certainly learned a lesson today, boys. Namely? Never play games at someone's house before you've seen a detailed geological survey of the area. A very specific but probably useful piece of advice. Perhaps you will specifically seek out the next lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten. Um, and I, I should I should note for the record, uh, in that episode of Nathan Van Etten, uh, the voice was Daniel Schwartz, Nathan was Mickey Weissner, and Jane was Aaron Morris. That guy was so annoying! I can't stand the sound of his voice. Please do us a favor and never play evidence from that man again. Well, I think that was a wonderful American lesson in materialism and making sure that we um, value our belongings. And I don't think they talked about insects specifically in there, but let me just say, as a master of English, it was there as a metaphor. So you're one of the intellectual intelligentsia, you would say. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And I think anyone who is particularly intelligent would tell you that that was clearly about how insects should be outlawed. Well, as an American, I, I, I'm intimidated by you, but I feel we have to do what you say because you probably know better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I just want to yell at you and lecture you about how pointy-headed you are. Yeah, yes. Uh, we in the South do not uh, take to this intellectual nonsense. Uh, uh, metaphor is fine and dandy, but insects can sometimes be our bread and butter. All right, Mr. White. Now, you mentioned earlier America's long history... Um, with war, especially war on abstract concepts. And I think this is really the way to sell it. We've had a war on drugs. We've had a war on terrorism. uh, We've had a war on crime. Why not a war on insects? It's very Um, true. It's very true. We've also had a war on uh, Nazis. Nazis, yes. A war on Um, Germans before Nazis. Germans before Nazis, I think they, that, is that what they called that? Um, but we, yes, yeah, so. Well, I mean, there, but there's also, there was a war on Vietnam people. Vietnam people, There was yes, a war, right. I think at one point there was a war on the South. There was a war on the South, and I think that we won that, didn't now, now, we? Now, hold on. Oh, we had a war on alcohol, too. I, I, I beg to disagree. There was a, there was a war that was perpetrated on the South. The South was a victim. That was like a, like a, like more of a mugging. Of the it South. was rightfully perpetrated, and we won. If you rightfully mug someone in an alley, then it was rightfully mugging of the South. Wait a minute. That's like saying that the victim stops the mugger and says, Hey, I'm not going to give you any more money. Even gentlemen, though- gentlemen, gentlemen, we're splitting way too much hairs here. Can we just be a little bit more civil about this war talk? I do believe the only way to have a war is in that sort of civil manner, but the war perpetrated on the South. Look, is there a reason we're talking about this? Are you trying to say the insects are like the South? Because then I'm going to side with the insects. Mr. White, can you prove to us that in some way this this war on insects would not be the disaster for this country's economy that the Civil War was? I think I can. I have a PowerPoint presentation ready for this. It's got a lot of numbers. It's got a lot of charts. Uh, are you guys ready for that? No. As long as it doesn't involve that bad guy. We're not here to crunch data and things like that. All right. Um, scrap the PowerPoint then. 
I have a, I have another radio show I can play you. Okay. Well, that was more entertaining than the PowerPoint. I, I really do like to get my lessons in sort of bite-sized media chunks. Okay. Well, this one is about war, so hopefully it'll cover the same ground as my PowerPoint. Annie Italic, Girl Reporter! By Peter Bowers, Charles Bourbon, and Mickey Weissner. Episode 5, War is... Well... Dateline Corpsburg from the desk of any italic girl reporter high atop Henderson Towers in Center City in the office of the Corpsburg Legistar Bulletin Journal. We bring you the news of the world. Commissioned by seasoned newspaper editor Eugene Seabrook, any italic tracks the most thrilling events of our day with the determination of a bloodhound poised notebook in hand for the moment of her big break. You know... Uncovering the real stories behind important events and keeping the public up to date on what they really need to know is a very satisfying feeling. That's why I went into journalism and got a job at a newspaper. Unfortunately, none of this ever happens at my newspaper. Unless I do it. And then I nearly get fired. But on this occasion, I ended up mainly trying not to get fired upon. See, I decided that the plus of keeping my paycheck was greater than the plus of being dismissed and never having to see Susie Sanserif again. So when I got assigned to cover the 149th anniversary reenactment of the Battle of Prairie Grove, I didn't even complain. The 149th anniversary reenactment of the Battle of Prairie Grove? I'm not even going to bother to complain. Good. Your roll-over-and-take-it attitude embodies the spirit that won us the Civil War. Gene, are you being sarcastic? You know how I look down on egghead stuff like that. Good. I was getting worried. Just for informational purposes, wouldn't it make more sense to do this story next year? Wait till the 150th anniversary to report the 149th anniversary? I can see why you're not an editor. You were such a person who is correct. So were you, on that one occasion. Now get out there and report on the Civil War! Civil War starts, North winds, the end. You know this was 149 years ago, right? Exactly! We'll be breaking ground that no newspaper has for over 148 years. You're our best reporter, so I know you can do it. No straying on the subject to something more interesting and newsworthy. Or you've had it. You'll be taking Johnny to take photographs and Susie for research. You have Susie covering the smallpox outbreak at Seven Flags Scandinavia land, and Johnny called in might get sick because of the smallpox outbreak. Exactly. And when Susie's done with them, those pox will be huge! She's our best reporter after all. Hey, but you just said- Well, of course, apart from Phil Lister. You'll be going with Harvey for research and, um, that girl. You! Huh? This is your big break! You? It is? Yes. Find a camera. You'll be forever known as the girl who photographed Thorpeberg's notoriously unconvincing, irrelevant, and poorly costumed Civil War reenactors, and still made them look good. But I'm not a pho- But I'm not a photographer. You'll get used to it. Come on. I'm Edie. I'm an intern here, I and- said come on. Harvey, get over here! Here already. You're my researcher. I'm busy sub-editing. What does that involve? Nothing. Just as I thought. Come on. As we sped along to the site of the Battle of whatever it was, I finally had some peace and quiet. 
Javi let his hands do the talking, and whatever her name was, was extremely nice to ignore. So I got my best reporter's blinders on and prepared to save my career with the most boring story I could write. Perfect. This is an empty field. Turn around, Javi. Oh, there it is. Let's try this family first. Start the recorder. Okay. Did you bring one? Oh, I brought- Guess I'll just have to take good notes. Excuse me! Any italic from the Legistar Bulletin Journal? Good afternoon, Mr. Uh, uh, Professor Houston Hamilton of history! And this is my wife, Mrs. Hamilton. She is not a professor. And this is my daughter, Lizzie Hamilton. She's too young to be a professor. We come every year to watch the reenactment of the Battle of that field over there and comment to the newspapers. Perfect. What do you think of it this year? Improved to an almost unbelievable degree. As a professor of history, I have noticed their uniforms, which in previous years consisted of Vietnam-era camo, space suits, bikinis, and one gorilla suit, are now completely accurate and look good as new. Just what a history professor such as myself is looking for. Great. And what about you, Mrs. Hamilton? Well, I'm not a professor, but... Oh! Harvey! Sorry. Sorry about him, Mrs. Hamilton. We normally keep him confined in a sub-editor's cubicle. What were you saying? Oh, just that I'm not a history professor like my husband, Professor Hamilton, is, but... Lizzie! Somebody just shot my daughter! And she's my daughter, too. Lizzie! Lizzie, hang in there. Can you hear me? I'm a doctor of history, not medicine. If only I knew what to do. Wow. You guys really go for the fake blood. You're really accurate with all this. Oh my god. It looks like she was really shot. Do you use Kara syrup? Let's go. They're going to be busy with their dead daughter. God, somebody really shot her. Police, help. Somebody call 911. Get out of my way. I've got paramedic training. Somebody! We need help! My daughter's been shot with a completely historically accurate Civil War bullet! A little girl being brutally murdered is usually a goldmine for a reporter, which meant I was getting dangerously close to having something worth writing about. I had to make sure the story was about boring, incompetent, Civil War reenactors and nothing else. That new intern, what's-her-name, kept asking people all about the murder, but I was determined to talk to the history nerds and get out. Okay, Justin, so how long have you been doing this? Uh, we've been fighting them derned Yankees since, uh, 1861, I think? Wow, you guys really hold a grudge. Uh, uh the South will live forever. Up with, uh... Slavery! I'm getting low on gunpowder! Coming! Okay, drop the act. We're in the present now. Uh, uh, you mean the future, right? No, seriously. Stop reenacting. Woohoo! What a relief! Okay, so you guys have some pretty nice, uh, reenactor stuff. Yeah, neat, huh? I mean, this is really- Nah! Mm, mm, yes. Genuine antique Civil War mess kit. And gun! And kepi! And left shoe! These will be worth thousands. And mine, to sell, now that I have stolen them! Ha ha ha! Ha! Uh, who was that? Oh, that was Fred, antique stealer. He keeps coming by and uh, stealing our stuff and then selling it on the internet. Doesn't that bother you? I mean, they were saying you didn't have any uniforms at all last year, and now... 
Oh, no, he can have them if he wants them. Dr. Turtledove must have a real good source for these antiques or replicas or whatever. Dr. Turtledove, huh? Dr. Turtledove, yeah, he... Justin! Justin, come back to me! <clears throat> Crap. I couldn't believe it. He died right before he could tell me where to find Dr. Turtledove. The story was starting to get too interesting again. But I couldn't help wondering how they could be so realistic if they were apparently such crap last year, and why people kept getting shot. Well, I thought this was going to be boring this year, but they're really doing a good job. They even make it seem like they're hot stop when they're supposed to be dead. This is way too realistic. People are dying. This is a massacre. I've almost been killed a dozen times while protecting your life so you could get the story. Yeah. Exciting. This is why I got an office job. Just need to get an interview with the head of this thing and I think we're done. I've got to get this medical supply report to Dr. Turtledove's tent If only before... I could find this mysterious Dr. Turtledove that... Hey, what did you say? Annie, I need to keep you safe. Take this report to Dr. Turtledove's tent. Over that way. Right now. Are you saving my life right now? Cute. I'm glad you're having fun. Forward, men, forward! From hell's heart we stab at thee! Hello? Dr. Turtledove? Why, yes. Hello? Dr. Larry Turtledove. Pleased to meet you. Welcome to my tent. Annie Italic, from the Legistar Bulletin Journal. Just doing a story and I thought I'd ask you a few questions. Oh, lovely. Hardtack? Mm. This is dreadful. I know. Genuine Civil War hardtack. Yeah. That's what I've been meaning to ask you about. This battlefield seems to be full of genuine-looking Civil War uniforms and guns and everything. Everyone says last year you were in Vietnam camos and... Bikinis in a gorilla suit. Yes. Much better this year. How did you do it? Well, I invented a time travel machine. It's over here. See? It's perfect for Civil War reenactments. We just go back in time to the Battle of whatever this field is called. Prairie Grove. Right. And steal their uniforms and guns and things. Wait. This is a terrible idea. Those are real guns! Yeah. So, all those people getting shot... Oops. Crap. Dear God, why must everything be so interesting? I don't know. Wait. Aren't they going to run out of uniforms and guns and food back in the past? Hmm, I didn't really think of that either. Okay, you're insane. See you later. Harvey! Intern! Ready to go. My name's Edie. We've got to get out of here. They're using real guns! I know! Get down! What's her name? What's her name? They shot what's her name! Ah, my shoulder! Jameson, cover the left flank! Annie, Harvey, I don't think I'm gonna make it. But before I go, I just wanted to tell you, I did everything I could, Annie, to make this the best story that... Wow. I can't believe they'd shoot the intern just because they got real guns. Jerks. Let's get back, Harvey. Avenge me! Back at the office, my life was a lot safer. But I'm not sure my position as a reporter was. Well, I'm very disappointed in both you girls. Annie, this story is very exciting and interesting. It would be perfect if it weren't a complete lie. Everybody knows the Battle of Prairie Grove was fought completely naked and without guns. Harvey, 
Rewrite this for accuracy. Make it up if need be. Right on it. So excited. And you, intern, you're fired. You came back with nothing. She's not here, Jean. She died. That makes things easy. Bloody Marys. Not in the mood. And I have a date anyway. You have a boyfriend? I might. Depends on how the date goes. What's his secret? Well, he's... Loud. Very loud. Like Civil War era cannons. I guess the moral is that sometimes in life, a Civil War reenactor will invent time travel and inadvertently get dozens of people killed with real guns. And when that happens, well, it's really weird and probably won't happen again. But at least that intern took the fire for me. Uh, point of order, Mr. White. Uh, th- in that episode of Any Italic Girl Reporter, uh, the announcer was Mickey Weissner, Any Italic was Angela Schwartz, Eugene Seabrook was Jack Coonrat, Harvey was Jordan Randall, Edie was Lisa Paquette, uh, Professor Houston Hamilton was Mickey Weissner, Mrs. Hamilton was Jessica Miller, Justin was Charles Berman, Fred was Daniel Schwartz, and Dr. Turtle Dove, I believe, was Bailiff Quimby. Uh, yes, that is all correct. Thank you. Thank you for that. I almost forgot to say that. But, again, the difference between the insect war and the civil war, we're not going to be naked with no guns. We're going to have clothes. Good, because, again, if an insect touches your naked body, that's disgusting. We're going to have guns, and by guns I mean, like, cans of of Raid and other insect killers and fly swatters, things like that. Um, and well, that's the difference. Those are the ma- the main two differences. And this could actually be a this could actually be a huge boon for the insect repellent industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We could we could make it deadly insect repellent, poisonous, really. And if and I then, correct me if I'm wrong, sir, but I believe there is a, at least one factory in your district that uh, makes insect repellent. There is a factory in my district that makes insect repellent. You know that. I have to say, I, you know, I honestly couldn't say that was distant from my mind when, I, when I, the idea came to me, because I'm very familiar because of that with, with insect repellent. Now, you've been known to broadcast about this on your program. You've been absent in Washington for several weeks. You've made no secret about this. It's a 300-page um, document. It took a while to write up. Of course. What sort of reactions have you had from the public? From, from the public? Well... I, you know, I don't listen to the public, uh, because that's just, uh, in my opinion, the polls can be finessed in many different ways. I, I, think, I think we've all had experience with that, right, gentlemen? I think that the polls are one of the most finessable constituencies in my district. Uh, no, uh, Senator, I believe he means the, the, the polls that the pollsters work on, the Gallup poll, that sort of the things that tell us about public opinion. Oh, the statistics! Yes, they they can be dis- they can be finessed too. Uh, so it, uh, to that end, I uh, the most recent poll that I took, one hundred percent of people polled were in favor of getting rid of insects. Well, this seems very popular. That certainly does. That was a very astute observation of me, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. All right. Well, the only, I mean, I only have a few more concerns, and I think this law would be very popular because even if it's not practical. Well, it's the fight. It's it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the people, um, Mr. White. Yes, I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that you've come out publicly uh, on your program as a communist and actually oh. <laughs> brand the 
the the zoo as a as a communist zoo. That is true. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I will say in my defense that uh, a it failed miserably, and b someone else was actually running it at the time, and he was kind of a terrible person. So you're saying in your defense that it failed miserably? Yeah, in that in that so so yes, I supported communism, but in supporting communism I proved that it didn't work. So you would say that you've totally repudiated communism. I think that it's an argument that could be made, but I don't know that I would make it. Would you be willing in order to get this law through to renounce communism? What is uh what does the word renounce even really mean? I think if we think about it You'll find that in, I mean, in, in many ways, by, by, by putting this law forward, I, I, I already have turned my back on communism, don't you think? Then you should have no problem renouncing it, then. I, I mean, renounce. What, I mean, again, let's break the word down. How can, how can I renounce it? I never really renounced communism in the first place, so to renounce it seems uncalled for in many ways. Well, then just simply say, I, Jordan D. White... I've never been and never will be a communist. I actually have a piece of evidence that I think really speaks to this point. Uh, let me play that right now. Sure. Hello and welcome to Frank Advice. My name is Frank Allen and I am back with another wonderful episode. Uh, thank you all for writing in and saying... How uh, you concerned you were that I was sick, but I'm feeling much better now. So I have with me uh, a good friend of the show. Well, good friend is kind of a kind of a uh, strong term for someone who electrocuted me last time. I think she was on the show, but someone I know and who has been on uh, my shows before. This is Ms. Dot Small. Hello again, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you feeling? I'm as I said, I'm feeling very healthy and uh, uh, well. I'm sorry to hear that you were ill. Yeah, well, you know, these things happen. So tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, what, what have you? When I spoke to you last, you were a sergeant in the military. Indeed, indeed I was. Um, I've actually now ended my military career. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, no, it's fine. I did advance. Okay. Uh, I was a general. So it wasn't dishonorable? Not at all. Okay. No, I'm, I'm honorable. Good. Um, no, I, I uh, spent some time as a general in your military, and uh, but Excellent. now I've, I've moved on to my second career. Uh, on Earth. I'm now a military advisor to the film industry in Hollywood. Wow. What, what do you advise on? Uh, m- military activity. Torture, specifically. Wow. Any any film that involves, uh, <sighs> you know, military operations, torture of prisoners of war, right. um, any I, matters of national security, scenes like that. Don't you people like to call it enhanced interrogation? Enha- that as well, yes. Um, any of the above. The, when a when a movie is about that or involves that and uh, requires scenes built around that, I advise on their accuracy. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully we won't be tortured today. Uh, we do have to answer some questions, but I'm willing to answer them. I, th- I think you are as well. I am prepared to answer questions with you as well, yes. Good. Okay. We're, we're going to give some advice to the people who have asked advice of us on uh, what we in the business call Yahoo Answers. I am a professional advisor now. Well, that's... That's true. That makes you um, especially qualified. Uh, so I've picked out some questions. Uh, here, here's here's a first one. Um, hopefully it's not too long, but I'll try to go through it a little quickly. I don't want to be a loner all my life. What can I do about it? I know I'm not a handsome guy, nor have I a toned body. I'm not really university material. I am an English guy living in Spain, and when I speak Spanish, I always stutter. When I speak English, I don't stutter, but I have been told I have a weird voice. My teeth aren't white, nor straight. My body is quite hairy. I'm also really short. People tell me I walk strangely. I have a driver's license, but no job to fund a 
a car. I have a grand total of nine euros to my name. I'm 21 years old and I'm in the first year of sixth form. I do have a high school certificate and a technician's diploma in electrotechnics. I'm a non-smoker and I still live with my restrictive parents. I have never been drunk or gone out with friends. Girls just say I'm creepy. I recognize that my father, who suffered a stroke, relies on me to care for him. I don't want to be on my own anymore. I want friends and to spend time away from my house. I would love to kiss a girl. All of this combined has made me very depressed. I'm currently taking antidepressants secretly. However, I feel like killing myself. Yesterday was my birthday and only one person acknowledged it outside of my family. I know it's not because of any one of those things that I haven't any friends slash girlfriend. It's because I am all of those things together. People have friends who are short, stutter, foreign, fat, natural, ugly, or lack parental freedom, but never everything in the same package. I am caring, loving, loyal, and would do anything for anyone. What can I do with my life? How can I become happy? Thanks for reading. So, uh, Dot, what do you think? I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, what can you do? Well, I can only speak from experience. Right. Um, what I did with my life when I didn't like my circumstances Oh, yeah, you're short. Well, I am short, but on my planet, that is not, uh, something to be discriminated against the way it is here. We are all small on the planet small. Do you stutter? No, I don't think so. You are foreign. I'm foreign. I can't see if you're fat. You're too small. I'm not terribly fat. Okay. For someone from the planet small. Are you ugly? I don't think so. You do sort of lack parental freedom. I remember your mother getting involved in one of the shows you were on. Well, that was one of my major problems on the planet small. There were a number of circumstances I did not like anymore. uh, One being my lack of parental freedom. Uh, So what I did when my circumstances were less than ideal and I I didn't want to be in them anymore is I changed planets. I just moved to Earth. Um, I got a job that I liked very much. I made some friends. Uh, though a lot of them tried to step on me at first. Not tried actively, but I'm tiny. And yeah, and everything is great now. I mean, well, it sounds like he already tried that. He's an English guy living in Spain. So he's already gone to a totally different country. Not drastic enough. You want him to go to a different continent? Planet. Planet. We don't have that ability on Earth so much. Why not? Well, I mean, we've never been to another planet. Uh, We've gone to the moon. It's like another planet, except it's not a planet. And it's part of our, you know, little... Hootie-doo. I'm sorry, hootie-doo? Like, you know, like the area, it's, you know, our planet is our planet, but then it's a thing that goes around our planet, it's like a satellite, but it's not part of your, you know what I mean? What do you call that? It's like a whole, yeah. Hootie-doo, Well, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Look, look. the point is, we can't get to Mars, and even if he could go to Mars, there'd be nobody there. He wouldn't be judged, but he wouldn't be accepted. Well... I've got two things. I One, do try something more drastic than maybe try another relocation to a different country or continent. If you really, if you were, what was this gentleman's name? Uh, well, Richard is his name. Richard, if you're interested, I might be able to arrange for you to visit Planet Small and see how you like it. Oh, he would be way too big for that. I mean, he says he's short, but he can't be that short. I, that's my option. I can't. I'm not any kind of ambassador to any other planet. All right, I've got some other advice. Now, here's the the problem with my advice is that he says he has a grand total of nine euros, and, and he doesn't have a job. Okay, well, that's that's the source of your problem. What you need to do is become rich. If you were rich, that would solve all the other problems immediately, because your teeth aren't white or straight, you get them straightened and whitened. You're, you're too fat, you get a personal trainer, or you get a liposuction. The, both of those are things you can afford with money. Quite hairy, get a shave, all these things. Money solves all your problems, so all you need to do is become incredibly rich. And- I understand you can buy women with money as well. Yeah, well, it goes back and forth. Depends on where you are. But he could go somewhere where he could do that. Right, or you could break the law, which is another option. But my point being, you've got a list of, you know, you say parental freedom, 
you know, just don't talk to your parents, right? I mean, if you're rich, you don't have to. If you're rich, your parents are going to become begging to you, right? Now, that does leave the big question of how to get rich. I got a job. You're rich? I have a significant amount of money. From the government? From Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood. All right, well, get a good... Okay, let's see. Is there anything... That he told us that's real specific that he could become a Hollywood advisor on? He said he had a certificate in electrotechnics. Yeah, but like, doesn't everybody in Hollywood know electrotechnics? Well, I don't think everyone does, but I have a feeling that a certificate in a high school diploma is probably not enough to qualify him to do that. They gotta make shows about losers though, right? Couldn't he be like an advisor on loser? He might be able to advise on loser. Probably you could. Well, lo- he says loner, not loser at the top. Maybe well, we sounds think- kind of like a loser, though, too. You think it was a typo? You think he meant to say, I don't want to be a loser all my life? I think he's probably both. Well, I don't think so. There's a big difference between being a loner and being a loser. Being a loner is like a choice. Being a loser is forced upon you. Well, considering all of the things he wrote about, it sounds like more like a loser. All right, well, become filthy rich. Uh, that sounds like our advice. Don't Whatever you do, don't kill yourself. Come on. This also is going to involve moving continents again, though, because... Oh. Oh, yeah. Hollywood is over here. Go to Hollywood, get rich at Hollywood, and then, like I said, liposuction, teeth straightening, all those things. Probably a speech therapist, because you, you say you sound stupid even when you're talking English. All those things. It's pretty easy to move to Hollywood and get rich. Good. Speaking of speaking of voices, we actually do have a, another question about voices. Um, This one is, how can I make my voice lower? Uh, Sean asks, I'm 12, and I know I hit puberty, and my voice isn't lowering. Do you have any tips? Yeah. Laugh at me. I do know a number of torture techniques that would result in a lower voice. Really? Hmm. Uh, please. I'm not sure that they're family-friendly or radio-friendly, but they involve manipulation of the testicles. Wow. And they make the voice lower. Yes. First higher, but permanently lower. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I, I, I was not... I don't, I, I don't know what you could mean. That's why I'm the expert. I was going to say a voice modulator. That might be easier. Um, like, uh, just like they, they made those Darth Vader helmets. Did you ever see those? Where you, you put on the Darth Vader helmet and it, like, changes your voice so it sounds a little bit more like Darth Vader. But then he has to wear a helmet his whole yeah. life. Well, he asked about the voice. He didn't ask about the face. I'm assuming this is an important issue to him because he says it. So, Darth Vader helmet would do it. I have a feeling he doesn't want to walk around in a Darth Vader helmet. Well, that's a broad assumption that you're just... You're putting that on him. I think it says more about you than it says about him. You're right, Frank. I don't want to wear a Darth Vader helmet right. the rest of my life. All right. But some of us would be okay with it. Well. Look, it's up to you, uh, Sean. I was just about to say, it's kind of his option. Yeah. But- you could you could you could use genital mutilation or you could use the Darth Vader helmet, but the options are yours. Depends on whether you're more concerned with people looking at your face or your genitals. I just manipulation. Manipulation, is the word I but it's permanent, right? The voice change is permanent. Are the genitals okay? Depends. Can you use them? Depends. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. It just doesn't sound good. Go to the right person. They might be intact. What? So it's the skill of the manipulator? Among other things, yes. Oh, well, this sounds complicated, and I don't know the right questions to ask. You know what? what? <laughs> That's all right. I'm not going to reveal my trade secrets anyway. Oh, well, so then, so then, Darth Vader is your option. Or he could come visit me. You have a service. You have a genital manipulation service. Not for everybody. Just for this one gentleman. I'd offer it. He's thirteen. No. That sounds illegal. I am not in favor of breaking the law, so maybe he should start. You know what? Okay, start with the Darth Vader helmet till you're 18. Okay. All right. Well, uh, speaking of being 18, this is from a a 15-year-old named Anonymous XX. Uh, Do you think this outfit is okay? I was thinking of uh, uh, tucking the shirt in and wearing tights and Converse. I'm going to Paris with school and thinking of wearing this one day. We are going to Disneyland, too. So if you have any ideas, please tell me. It is going to be hot there, but I don't like shorts. Smiley face. I'm 15 and fit in the teen section in new look only. Thanks, X. Uh, Now, there are links here to a uh, teen uh, black shirt 
what is it called? I don't know what she says. It's, oh, a teen black striped sleeveless shirt. Uh, it's got a like, collar button down shirt. I'm trying to describe it. It's black and white stripes, no sleeves. And then also to a, a teen black jersey skater skirt. I don't know what makes it a skater skirt, but it's just a, kind of a black skirt. So It's kind of an A-line draped skirt. Oh, oh okay. Well, that's more information that I've never heard of. Um, knee length, it looks. You think so? Mm. That looks shorter Possibly than above knee. The knee. Yeah, it looks shorter than knee to me. Does it say how tall it is? No. Uh, it costs £9.99 and uh, the shirt is £12.99. Uh, so, and she's going to tuck the shirt in to the skirt and wear tights presumably under the skirt and Converse shoes. What do you think, Dot? I mean, I'm not really a fashion expert. Okay. I'm in Hollywood, but I'm advising on torture and military activities. And when I was in the military, we wore uniforms. Right. It looks perfectly cute to me. Okay. But I'm no expert. <sighs> yeah, but you gotta, you know, you gotta then twist it to your expertise. You know, just kind of make it about what you know. That's that's. A- Tip of the trade. If I were to torture somebody wearing that, it would be difficult because yeah. there are tights involved. Okay. Tights make it hard to torture? They're restrictive. I think then I'm going to recommend people wear tights more. I don't understand how the connection, but it, I'll take it. I mean, we can just take them off. Oh, well, that's less effective. But the point is, yeah, it's a good outfit. Uh, it's all black. Uh, is there a reason? Are you are you depressed? I think uh, you probably need therapy. It's black and white. Yeah, but black and white is black. And White. Well, yeah. But the unifying color is black, which means, psychologically, I think this means that she has a core of depression and an empty void in her soul. It depends on what she's asking about. From a Disney World? But what does what does she want to accomplish? If she wants to accomplish revealing the inner darkness of her soul, that's a good outfit. Yeah, but she still needs therapy. She didn't ask you about that. I know, but I'm just telling her. Maybe she's in therapy. Are you in therapy? Well, she doesn't answer. But the point is, I think she. if you're not, you should be. If you are, you're expressing it oddly, but that's fine. As far as your outfit goes, I think you're set, and you probably won't be tortured. Somebody wearing that would not strike me as... You know, a suspect in anything. I wouldn't target someone looking like that. So I think it's good. Sounds good. Uh, we do have another question. This one is a little bit, uh, this is a bit of a thinker. Uh, what do we gain and what do we lose when we name something? Uh, additional details. How does a name describe or restrict something? Actually, I have a lot to say about that. I thought you might. Names can be very helpful, especially on your planet. Yeah. Where people insisted on calling, you know, you know, Frank, the history of my name. Um, Dot. Any, any listeners who don't necessarily, my name is Dot. Yeah. My name was Dot. Small. No, not originally. I'm from the planet Small. And because I am from the planet Small and also extremely small, comparatively, on your planet, people insisted on calling me Dot Small. And by people. I mean you. Yeah. Yes. Other people, too. Oh. But because you kept doing it. Yeah. So. It just seemed to fit. I ended up just changing my name legally to Dot Small because at first I was infuriated and I finally decided to go with the flow. Oh, I just noticed that that means if you're listed on a paper, it would say Small Dot, which is true. Thank you, Frank. So, what did I, okay, what did I gain? Well, I'm not sure I gained a whole lot. My name always was Dot. People now feel that they are describing me even more with my name. Because you're small Dot. It's perfect. Also, I could just be Dot Small in the paper. It depends on the order in which they are writing Yeah, but a lot of times the alphabetical by last name. What did I lose? Well, in some ways I lost a little bit of my identity. On our planet, we only use one name. So I now have two. I have more of an earth structure to my name. I'm not sure I'm thrilled about that. And uh, I feel a little bit discriminated against. 
that way. No, okay. Well, I think she's I might change my name this. again. She's wrong about all of this. What you what you gain when you name something is knowledge, and what you lose is dumbness. So when uh, like, come on, uh, what hey, what is this thing? It's uh, it rings and it tells me if a, if a call is coming, and it's my phone. Okay, got it. That way, I go. I don't have to come in and go. Hey, I lost my thing that rings when like if somebody's trying to contact me, and they're like putting in a number and then a ringing and then I pick up, I'm like, hello, and then I talk with them for a while. Well, it also depends it, on what she's naming. I mean, I think I think sometimes if you name something um, originally, I, you didn't just name your phone phone. Somebody did. Somebody did. But if you were to name it something, if you were to call that phone Lucy. What? Or your pet, if you name something, if you name a pet something. That's a terrible name. What? Something. It's if so you, if you, vague. Uh, Frank, really, I have to explain this. If you attribute a name to your pet. Okay. Like Jordan's cat, Escape. Yeah. Okay? In doing that, I think he gains a little bit of ownership. Yeah. Um, A little extra connection. Well, Jordan didn't name Escape. Devin did. So she gained ownership. But Jordan still owns him, too, because he married Devin. Yes, but the connection is slightly different. Through marriage. So I think there's more to be gained just than knowledge. No. I mean, yeah, but knowledge is the main thing. And the again, the losing is the non-knowledge, a.k.a. dumbness. So what you, like, you should name everything, and we should all name every... I mean, that's why everything already has a name. What doesn't have a name? Name one thing. You can't. Right, because it's all settled. So, by so you don't have to continue naming anything. Well, if we make something new, we do. Then we gotta name it. Because do you actually gain the knowledge of what it is if you can sense it otherwise? Yeah. Don't you just attribute a label to it? What do you mean? I mean, if you had that thing in your hand that you're calling a phone, but it didn't have a name... No, it is a phone, I mean... You could still see what it was and hear it ring and yeah, talking what to I, it. How do I it... talk about it without sounding like a dip? But what you're gaining then is not knowledge. It's the ability to talk about it. A.K.A. knowledge. I don't think they're the same. They're pretty similar. Look, if I'm like, what do you know? And you're like, I can't tell you because I don't have words to describe things. Then you, it's like, yeah, right. You're but I have the knowledge. Know I just can't communicate yeah, But why would you. I believe you? It sounds like you're full of crap. But again, the ability to communicate it to you helps you believe me, but... The, right. the inherent knowledge I have is not dependent on your believing of my knowledge. Look, uh, I didn't tell you the name of the person who did this. Ms. Silver Laughter, if you are a Ms., I'm assuming. Uh, I told you what you gain. I told you what you lose. I think we're done. I'm done. All right, let's let's go on to the next one. Uh, here, here's one. Do you, parentheses, men, get turned on by a woman's upper arm? Maybe a weird question, LOL. I actually like a woman body like most men, but don't know, do other men like women upper arm? I don't like skinny or too muscular upper arm on women. That's actually a turnoff. So, do you think women's upper arm is sexy? Or... Do you think it's weird? Now, Dot, technically, this is a question for men. Um, it is in the psychology section of the uh, Yahoo Answers. Technically, it's a question for men, but I think you can answer as well. Uh, just we- especially, do you think it's weird? What? Upper arm. Upper arm. I'm assuming it's b- above the elbow, you know, kind of a... Uh... Thank you. Do I think the upper arm is weird or no. the attraction to it? Yes. I think whatever people are attracted to is their business and not mine to judge. Well, no, but he's asking to you to judge him. But I don't want to. Well, do it. That's what this is what we do here. Look, you're an advisor on torture. Torture this guy. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, that's really weird. Okay. I don't think you should tell anybody about the things that uh, turn you on or oh, that you enjoy. What? Why? Because they're weird and people will judge you. Oh, that's terrible advice. How does he? How do you? How does he find a woman who likes him to lick her upper arm or whatever it is he's looking for? He shouldn't. What, why? Well, that's really, he's going to be repressed his entire life. Yes, you told me to torture him. Well, that's terrible advice. Look, Metallic Exorcist, because that's his name. I think you should. You're fine. Everybody can like whatever they like. And far from us to say, don't talk about it. Talk about it a lot. Also, just, I would, you know, open with it. When you see a woman, be like, I like your upper arm. It's not vulgar, you know, because if you're like, I mean, let's, let's be honest. If you're like, I like your, you know, traditional body parts that men are attracted to, you get slapped. Is that accurate? I guess. A guy walks up to you in a bar and goes, you know, I mean, nice you know, boobs. I'd probably start by slapping him. Right. Okay. Do you wait? Hang on. Now you're a torture expert. Are you? Are you? Are you initiating sexual congress? What? Congress. Congress. Yeah, like sex. I'm not in Congress. Okay. Look, what I'm trying to say here is with a slap. No. Well, you like torture, so I'm initiating torture. AKA. Not the same. Okay. Good. My point was, since you're, it's an unusual body part, I feel like you could be like, "Hey, nice upper arms," and the girl's not going to be like, "Slap." She's going to be like, "I'm sort of." uncomfortable, but I can't put my finger on why, and that's your opening. And then she'll walk away. No, she can, she'll be too confused, and then you can, you know, I mean, it depends on how bold you are. You can ask her out, you can lick her arm, whatever. So I'm not, I'm still not clear on what he likes about upper arms, because he said he doesn't like them skinny or muscular. No, just regular, Just apparently. regular type? Well, he doesn't say regular type, but that's what's left, right? Or fat. I mean, I guess he doesn't say whether he likes fat or not. So maybe he does. So he just likes medium-sized to to largely fat upper arms. I mean, listen, he, I'm assuming he doesn't like like 700-pound woman upper arms because that would be so why, specific. Why would you make that assumption? Well, because it because you that's such a difference, such such a wide array of upper arm size that you'd think in order to like that you'd have to say specifically. I'm looking I'm looking for 700-pounders. I guess that's fair. Thank you. So, do you think upper arm of is sexy. Uh, no. Not particularly. No, not really. But do I think it's weird? Yes. Yes, but you could still go for it. That's cool. Uh, here, uh, anyway, speaking of uniqueness, uh, this is a question that I think is kind of unique and uh, gives us a lot of freedom to answer. Uh, what's a good name for my Tumblr? I've got a Tumblr, but I don't know what to call it. I want something simplistic, but creative at the same time. Smiley face. Like a drinking glass? That's pretty good. A drinking glass. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, this one, on the other hand, is a little bit more specific. How does Shakespeare use symbolism to foreshadow in this quote? Julius Caesar. Uh, and the quote is, But never till tonight did I go through a tempest dropping fire. Scene one, act three. To decode that a little, I think that this person is saying, this is a quote from scene one of, from act three, uh, scene one, Julius Caesar. And the line is, but never till tonight did I go through a tempest dropping fire. And wants to know in what way Shakespeare uses symbolism to foreshadow. Thank you for that decoding. It shed a lot of light. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. On the question. My pleasure. Have you have you seen Shakespeare? Yes. Julius I've Caesar I've also read Julius Caesar, but uh, it's been a while. Okay, how long? Many, many years. They, they have it on the planet small? They have it on Earth. Yeah, but you... We you, don't care about Shakespeare on the planet small. He's bigger than you guys. His book is probably bigger than you guys, by which I mean his complete That's book. why we don't read them. Well, then you read them here. Look, Shakespeare, Julius Caesar, quote, go for it. I don't know. You don't know? You're an expert on torture. Come on. I don't know how he's tortured. He, he's just killed in this. Okay, look, if you were going through a tempest dropping fire, would that torture you in any way? No, I would be psychologically fine with that. What? No, look, a te do you know what a tempest is? It's a storm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a storm. Yeah. And you're going through it. Yeah. And it's dropping fire on you. I don't know about you. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, fire. I No, 
I'm, I misunderstood the modifier. I thought I was dropping fire through the tempest. Oh, you thought you were carrying fire through a tempest Just and dropping, dropping it around. It? And I Get was like, the storm here. will put it out. I, I'm going to, that would be weird in my opinion. But so well, I'm yes. going to go with, it's a tempest that's dropping fire That does make you. more sense. That would probably hurt, yes. Yeah, so that would be torturous. So you should be an expert on this. I would the probably point. just die. Okay, well, but, well, never, so never till tonight did he go through a tempest dropping fire, which means... Never till tonight did he experience such torture. Right, but remember the question is symbolism and foreshadow. So it's like a symbolism for, you know, a, a tempest dropping fire on you, killing you, and foreshadowing that he's going to die. Okay. All right. That's my guess. Seems logical. Uh, never till tonight, though. Here's one. Uh, how to become skinny fast. Please read description. Seriously, guys. I'm not wanting to develop an eating disorder, but I feel like I'm going to if I don't sort myself out. My sister is already anorexic, and I don't want to be. Sometimes I binge eat, and some days I just don't eat at all. I drink a lot of water also. I'm still healthy, and I still have a sustained weight, but it's too heavy. I am just so fat, and I'm sick of people telling me that I'm not because I know I am. I suffer with too many insecurities, and it has made me socially awkward. I also self-harm quite a lot. I'm not an attention seeker. I'm just like everybody else, except seriously, I'm too fat. I want an easy, healthy way to become skinny. At least lose 10 kilograms in a month or something. What exercises do I do? I don't usually have much time, and since I am studying for exams, I hardly spare any time at all. I could go walking once or twice a week, but for how long? What foods do I have to eat? How much? What exercises could I do at home? Please help me, or I don't know what I'm going to do. Frowny face with a tear. So, pretty serious. Dot, what do you think? I don't think there's an easy solution. There's no fast solution. Look, this girl is too fat, and she needs to lose weight now. Okay, there's no fast, healthy solution. You could do a fad diet, you could get diet pills, you could get liposuction. Well, she doesn't want to develop an eating disorder. Well, then there's no healthy, fast way to do it. But she needs to become skinny. Consult a nutritionist on the foods you should be eating. That, that, she doesn't have time to spare. She's studying for exams. I don't know what to tell you. Well, she could go walking once or twice a week, but for how long? That's not going to do it. How long? That's not going to do it. So zero. What? Zero, zero what? Zero long. Oh, I don't know. How, how long can she do it? You tell me. She tell me. She's not here. You have to tell her how long to walk for. To walk? Yeah. Just walking? Once or twice a week. Forever. You can't walk forever twice a week. Oh, I thought, oh, once again, I thought you meant, like, for how many weeks? No, no, she's saying how long should she walk for every week? I'm just assuming. I may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Just walking maybe an hour at least, I think. Okay, so two hours a week. And what foods does she have to eat? Fibrous foods and vegetables and fruits. How much? All of them. She can't eat all the food. I, I mean, at every meal, right? It, what's the? It, there's generic wisdom she could Google on You this. are m- misinterpreting everything everyone says. Earthlings are so confusing. Look, what exercises could she do at home? Jumping jacks. All right, that's one. Squats. Okay, so. Crunches. Let, let me see if I got this right. Walk two hours a week, eat fibrous foods for every meal, and do squats and crunches and jumping jacks at home. And fruits and vegetables. Don't do fruits and vegetables at home. Eat, eat them. them. for Okay. Yes. Because she's too fat. I mean, she eat needs them at to, home, too. She needs to lose... Okay, wait. Both? I assume she has some meals at home. Well, it's possible. She needs to lose at least 10 kilograms a month or something. So, I don't know how much a kilogram is because I, I'm American. How much is that? That's like 22 pounds. Wow. 22 pounds a month? You really have to... 
It's more than just walking two two hours a week. I, well, how many hours, ma'am? I mean, she has to do, like, hard cardio exercise. So, like, ten hours. Not just walking. Oh. I mean, walking is good, but she needs to be doing the jumping jacks and the, the squats and the crunches and probably just go to the gym and use what machines. She, she should walked, be running at What least. if she walked for 24 hours straight? No, she should be running. She needs to get her heart rate up. I feel like if you walk for 24 hours, you're going to be pretty... You're pushing it. But it's not as effective as if you just run for 20 minutes even. You're saying running for 20 minutes is better for you than walking for 24 hours Yes. Wow. Because you'll stop, you'll hydrate, you'll eat something. Well, you can do that while you're walking. You can't just walk till you're exhausted. Well, I mean, no, you have to walk through that. Just keep walking? It's 24 hours. No, that's not as good for your body. Just run. Fine. Uh, so that's what you got to do. Run or something. Uh, here, here's, a, here's a good question. How to make this sentence sound better? Easy 10 points. I need help making this sentence sound better. I basically want to say that since technology persists, teenagers are becoming stupid. Example, autocorrect, stuff like that. This is for an essay. Since social media has become more advanced in technology in this past decade, it has led teenagers in becoming less educated. So that last sentence is the sentence. Since social media has become more advanced in technology in this past decade, it has led teenagers in becoming less educated. Okay, well, let's parse what you're saying. Uh, what you are saying there is that social media is the is the uh, subject of the sentence, correct? The verb of the sentence is has led, and the, the subject is uh, teenagers. Also advanced. No. Um, well, I, I guess so, yeah, it's compound. Since social media has become, no, not advanced, but has become. Uh, oh, that's true. There's two ideas here. Social media has become more advanced in technology in this past decade. What they mean is technology has become more advanced, birthing social media, right? Yeah, well... Social media came out of that advancement of technology. Well, you, sure. Which sort of... I don't even know if you need to say. No, I, I, I think they're saying that in technology, in this past decade, social media has become more advanced in the field of technology. Than other technologies? Yeah. Comparatively. Yeah. Well, okay. like, for example, like, uh, you know, uh, 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 vinyl record technology has not really gone that far in the last decade. That's true. Fire making. Well, fire making probably advances a lot. Anyway, the... But then the yes, second part is the second part is social media has led teenagers in becoming less educated, which means to me that social media has itself gained very little education, and teenagers learning from this have also not educated themselves. Could it be that social media actively is leading the revolution of people becoming less educated? Do you mean uh, social media is intentionally keeping our children from learning? Correct, encouraging them. Encouraging them not to learn. Yes. How? I, I'm just asking if that's what the sentence could mean. That's one interpretation. Okay, so let's see. If we were to rephrase that, uh, I think the the way to make this sentence sound better then would be, uh, as social media... Has advanced more than other technologies. Has advanced more than other technologies in the past decade. It has also been at the forefront of the movement, keeping our children from learning. That's pretty good. All right, there we go. Easy 10 points. Where do I get those points? Uh, well, it's a Yahoo Answers thing, and we didn't actually answer it on Yahoo Answers, so we're not going to actually get any points. <sighs> but I do have a question, uh, which I think ties in a little bit with your uh, expertise of torture. Every joint in my body is killing me. What's wrong? I was doing yard work and came into the house, and as soon as I got up from the chair, all of my joints started killing me. I work harder at work than what I did in my yard. It's like the most pain I've ever been in. And should I go to the hospital? Thanks. So this this is like this is all about pain, which is 
your expertise. But I'm not a medical expert. But you're a pain expert. Well... You know, backwards, if you were going to make every joint in his body kill him, how would seems, you go about that? I mean, literally killing him? Oh, are you asking if his joints are attacking the yes. rest of him? Like, his, his elbows are jamming themselves into his gut? Yes. I'm going to guess no. I'm thinking it's a euphemism for pain. Okay, they hurt very much. Very much. Uh, it's the most pain he's ever been in. After he exerted himself very little. He works harder at work than what he did in That the doesn't yard. really help me understand the amount of work he did in the yard. Well, let's say at work he does a nine, I mean, and in the yard it was like a six. All of his joints? Every single every one? Every single one. Yeah, I think you should go to the hospital. Something else has happened to you. What's wrong? I don't know. I'm not a medical expert. Come on, just figure it out. Tease it out. Like I said, if you were trying to make every joint in his body hurt, what would you do? No, but and again... backwards, look at back at what, what he did and go, okay, well, clearly... No, because there are plenty of things that you could do to someone to make all of their joints ache. Like what? But I think he name, would remember name being one. tortured. Name one. Uh, you can do nerve damage. How? A number of ways. How? Uh, <laughs> minor electrical shocks. Okay, so if you were working in the yard, and let's say you were digging in the yard, were you digging into the electrical power lines? Because um, those could, you could have gotten a terrible electrical shock without noticing. Unlikely without noticing, but it's, you know, possible, right? Sure. Or if you just were wearing clothes that generated a lot of static, maybe you just zap yourself with that. You could apply blunt force trauma to each of his joints. Yeah. Well, again, that's pretty likely that you'd notice if someone but smacked you really hard. But you never know. Like if a tree fell on you. Okay, no, you'd know that. You'd know that. So, all right, well, let's okay. Let's say it's not that. What else you got? Like needles? Could needles do it? Only if you're inject. I mean, you could inject him with something, I guess. Okay. Like what? Joint acre? What? I don't, I'm assuming that there's like a joint aching juice. No, Look. again, I'm not. Listen, yes, there are there are chemical mixes you can make. I'm not going to reveal my secrets, but right. there, yes, you could. So let's say inject that, him with something. And from what I understand, bees are kind of like injections. So maybe a bee stung him. No, or, not not the same. Well, could be. No. What what if the bee got into your chemicals? It does not work that way. Uh, wh which part? That's not biology. A bee is not biology. A bee does not have a long enough or powerful enough stinger to inject something into your bloodstream. Well, it could get into your muscles. Look, the point is, look, the bee goes into the lab. It says, oh, what's this uh, blue chemical here? And dr drops its head in, drinks it, like little bee sips. And, and then travels. I mean, we don't even yeah. know where this guy is. No, we don't. So he could be anywhere. He could be right outside our door. That sounds very unlikely. Well, th I, there could be anybody with this joint juice. No, there couldn't be anybody. <sighs> well, anybody with your expertise. And there's probably more than just you. Y yes, but very few. Okay, well, any of them could have a bee in their joint juice. And the point is, the bee could then sting you. You think it's just a bee sting and you go, ah, it's no big deal. And you go inside and all of a sudden your joints are killing you. Literally the worst pain you've ever felt. So I think, yes, you should go to the hospital and you should say, I've been poisoned by some sort of professional torture, torturer. Whatever gets you to the hospital, dude, I think you need to go to the hospital. Well, sure. But, you know, it's a big difference if you say to them, I was poisoned by a professional torturer who's using a, a cocktail of chemicals to attack my joints, is, that they're going to give you one treatment versus if you go in and you say, I was struck by lightning. Or you I, seem to be under the impression that when you walk into a hospital, they let you self-diagnose and just treat you accordingly. Yeah. No? No. It's like a, like a drive-thru. You didn't have to go to the hospital with your illness, did you, Frank? I mean, I told them what I had, so and then they treated me for it. Because they discovered that you were right. Well, I mean... They did their own assessment. Wow. I mean, maybe, but I, I, mean, I went in and I said, I've got a hookworm, so give me hook off. Did you just drive through? No, I mean, I didn't drive through literally. Like, metaphorically. It's a metaphor. So you went in and you essentially ordered hookworm treatment. Yeah. And they gave it to you. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, there were tests. Yeah, okay, right. 
tests, right. Well, you could and do the test the too. The test. Yeah, but you got to do the right test. Yes. If I went in and I said I got struck by lightning, they wouldn't have tested me for hookworm. So what you're saying to me is you say, I think I have a hookworm and they do the hookworm test. Yeah. As opposed to I've been struck by lightning, at which point they do the lightning test. Yeah. Yeah, or like they'll be like, oh, you know, there's a lot of things lightning can do to you. Let's see what it did. Uh, okay, here we go. Yeah, there's the chart. I'm so glad you're not a doctor. What? Well, if I was a doctor, I would, you know, be good at it. Be like disbarred I'm, and no, probably in jail. I, I, I don't think I, look, I don't think I would. I think I would be just as good at that as I am at being a host. So. I agree. Okay, I then. Agree. So, uh, let's see. Do we have any final questions, like any quickies? Little, uh, it's, We're getting kind of late. Oh, here we go. How do I destroy the moon? Nuclear weapons. That's probably the easiest way. But there's, I mean, there's an infinite number of ways to destroy the moon. Are there? Oh, yeah. Like what? Name five. Oh, five? You only want five? And Do I get to use nuclear weapons? Nope. Okay. That was one so of mine. So five others. Throw the earth at it. How? With a slingshot. That's one. Uh, number two, uh, eat it. Number three, um, like, uh, like a, like a vacuum, maybe? You could vacuum it up. If you got, like, a big vacuum. I mean, like, there's a lot of dust. Okay. Uh, number four, um, just sort of, like, just sort of, like, uh, make every, like, paint it black. And, I mean, it won't literally be destroyed, but it's, like, metaphorically destroyed because nobody remembers it's there anymore. Uh, and then last one, uh, like, uh, no, I can't think of a fifth one. So. so they're not infinite. Well, well, no, I just didn't, I just couldn't think of one. But I'm sure there is. An, I, you could torture it to death. Look, you could nuke it. Don't. All right. Well, I do not advise that. But you can do the ones that I said, apparently. You could try. That is uh, a good place to end it uh, here on Frank Advice. Uh, I am Frank Allen, and uh, here with me is my guest. Dot small. Dot small. And if you want any uh, more Frank Advice, write to us at castandwax at gmail.com, and we will be Frank when we advise you. Or at least I will. Dot probably won't be back. So, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that uh, what that has to do with everything. So, I think it's, I'll just let it speak for itself. That's certainly good evidence of something. Uh, what, what were we, a senator, what, would we, what did we play that for in the first place? I cannot recall what we were discussing at the time. Huh. Well, there was certainly a lot of, a lot of advice there from that, that Frank Allen gentleman, and uh, I don't... You know, I don't think it had anything to do with insects at all. You know, I, I, I do believe it was a little long as well. I, I, I think Senator Smith Smith might be asleep. Uh, Senator, Senator Smith? Senator Smith? Smith Smith. What? The evidence is done. We're going to discuss the law some more. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the law. Yes. So, Mr. White, in the grand scheme of things, why should we enact the raid law? What is the most important part of this law? Well, I, like I said, the most important part is it protects all Americans from having to be confronted by insects that they do not want to be confronted by and gives them a, a remedy uh, for any insect that they are confronted by. A legally justified, mandated remedy. And again, hopefully we'll teach the insects, we'll get them out. Plus, like I said, it's going to do wonders for the economy. Uh, like there's going to be whole industries popping up just to replace the insects in America. It's going to be a boon for our society. I promise. Well, I think as long as we can make sure that this benefits all the plants for the production of insect repellent in Vermont and mm -hmm. make sure that we, we sell uh, maple syrup more than honey and as long as we sell it as a war on insects, 
uh, that can never end and keep generating money because uh, it's not something that uh, we can realistically lose, then uh, I think we should do it. But isn't war costly? How can we generate money off this? Well, Senator, I, I have to point out, war is costly to the American government, but that money's got to go somewhere, and I'm sure all of us know the people whose pockets will be filling. War is very profitable. All we need is a military-industrial complex in the war against insects. So we just have to make sure that we're making money off of making the weapons against insects, which, of course, is insect repellent. Yeah, yeah military insecticide uh, 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 machine. Right, and fly traps. All of the, all of the above. Yeah, um, I don't think there's any possible objections to this. But let me ask you this. How do we know that if we put this act forward, the American people aren't going to take their votes away from us. It doesn't do me any good if I put something into law that gets me kicked out of office. Well, I think kicking is important here. Perhaps some kickbacks. Well, I mean, uh, sure, that sort of thing would help, uh, of course. Do you have any evidence about that, Mr. White? I actually do. I do. Um, it's uh, it's another uh, episode of, uh, of This Day in History, uh, and we're getting closer to the present, so... I think it's uh, even more relevant than the other ones. Hello, I'm Rory Sinjin on This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. On April 29, 1429, during the Hundred Years' War, the 17-year-old French peasant Joan of Arc leads a French force in relieving the city of Orléans, besieged by the English since October. Let's listen. I've spent seven days walking through the, the woods and the, the savannah, and now I come to the tent. I would like to rest. But, um, Miss John, ma'am, should you not be checking... Do not touch me! For the ticks? Do not touch me! Perhaps you should be touching yourself... I am a woman of God! You shut up, you! Oh. <laughs> I knew she was crazy. Indeed. Perhaps we should throw a lot in with the English. I am... I am not feeling so well. Where's your God now that you have Lyme disease? Once uh, Joan of Arc was captured by the English, they discovered she was covered in ticks all over her body because she had not checked for them after leaving the forest. So in order to get the insects off her, they did set her on fire. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin, and you're listening to WHRW Binghamton with This Day in History. On May 6, 1937, the airship Hindenburg, the largest dirigible ever built and the pride of Nazi Germany, bursts into flames upon touching its mooring mast in Lakehurst, New Jersey, killing 36 passengers and crew members. Let's listen. Guys, I think we need the big hose for this one. Yep, <sighs> getting the big hose. Oh, this is getting my feet all soggy, though. My just shoes inside. I- I'm just going to take them off. Are you sure you want to do that? It's kind of gross. Yeah, I, I just, my, my socks are all wet, and I'm just going to go barefoot. Well, come on, Frank. Be serious here. There's a definite risk of getting something like athlete's foot. It's dangerous all around. Whatever, I'm not worried about that. Well, hey, hey, look at those Germans. They made that big freaking blimp, and do you think that they made that big freaking blimp by taking off their shoes in public showers? I don't think so. I'm not worried about that. Come on, let's go. Put You're right, and I'm taking my shoes off too. Yay! Yeah. Yay, shoes off. In fact, it turns out that the entire crash of the Hindenburg was planned by the Nazis in order to give Americans foot funguses. They were not wearing shower shoes when using a quote-unquote public shower, which was actually a hose at the time, which is why uh, they lost the Great War. This is WHRW Binghamton with this day in history. 
Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin and you're listening to WHRW Binghamton. Did you know that on May 13th, 1981, in Rome's St. Peter's Square, Pope John Paul II is shot while passing through the square in an open car? The assailant, 23-year-old escaped Turkish murderer Mehmet Ali Akka, fired four shots, one of which hit the pontiff in the abdomen, narrowly missing vital organs, and another that hit the pope's left hand. Looks like it's time to get the Pope Mobile. Dude, the keys are still in the ignition. Whoa, look at all these cool drinks and stuff in the back. He's got a cooler and everything. And it's bulletproof, so no one can shoot at us. Dude, let's totally steal the Pope's Pope Mobile. Alright, start her up. There's a jacuzzi in the back! <laughs> I'm coming. Wait a minute. Who's driving? Ah! Um, um because of those hoodlums did steal the Pope Mobile. Uh, that's why he was driving around in an unprotective car. Uh, of course, the Pope Mobile is a tradition that dates back to when Christ was actually the head of the Catholic Church. Uh, this is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But don't cast your vote on this new law outlawing insects yet. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? And let me tell you that I am speaking 100% hypothetically, completely hypothetical. If there were going to be a law about outlawing insects from the United States, then I'm sure, hypothetically, whoever was backing that law would have some sort of hypothetical incentive for the hypothetical senators who were going to hypothetically and actually vote on that actual act. What, you may ask, does that have to do with Joan of Arc getting covered with ticks? Well, very little except that the people who would have been checking her for ticks would have been financially compensated. What does it have to do with the Hindenburg showering in a public shower without shoes or shower shoes? Tragedy that befell the nation. Well, very little, except, of course, that the shower shoe lobby was very gracious to us for making that PSA. And what did it have to do with the Pope being shot and that terrible PSA that I think was meant to say, don't drink and drive? Well, I'll tell you, no one gave us money for that PSA. My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is where are they now in history? Uncast and wax. Well, I think that was a great demonstration of why taking bribes is irrelevant to our discussion, but why I yes. think it would definitely help you to vote for this. Well, it would, if such a bribe existed, which of course it doesn't, because we operate a, a legitimate Congress, right? Yes, absolutely legitimate. I don't think it would help to be illegitimate at all. Uh, Senator Smith, Smith, I... I, I'm just realizing, you know, you're from the future, so you must know whether this passes or not, right? Well, you know, I've been jumping around so much in time, I can't even remember what happens because of this. I haven't seen many bugs lately, but I just jumped back here to the past from the winter, so... Well, there are not many bugs in the winter. I suppose if we're all agreed, though, we, we can just make this happen and, you know, any benefits are side things. That's right. Well, I think that as the chairman of this committee, uh, well, there's three members, so we're not going to have a tie vote. Uh, all in favor, say aye. 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 Well, I, that means that the motion um, it wins, it, uh, it passes. The motion passes. So, that, well, that means that we're, we've, we've all agreed. Um, and uh, Mr. White, if you could vote, I'm sure you'd agree with this because you, you voted the whole thing. Yep. So I think we're all agreed. Great. Then there's absolutely nothing that can stop this law from happening. This is wonderful. Well, I mean, doesn't it have to go to the whole Congress? I think it has to go to the whole Congress. Yeah, it'll be fine. Well, good, good. Because I'm, 
I mean, now I'm advocating for it. I mean, we voted for it. I have to stick behind my position, too. So if I hope I not ended up behind something unpopular. There's, who, who could possibly disagree with getting rid of all insects? Well, no insects. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Everyone stop your office of, of government. Stop everyone. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, uh, now, hold on. Who is this here? Now, who are you, Wait a sir? minute. Why are you interrupting our system? You just don't do that. You know, you don't just come in here and interrupt us. Wait a minute. Uh, yes, I come and interrupt is what I do exactly. My name is Vysyavolod Urezdzvenski. I'm uh, head of Bug Lobby. I'm here to lobby for bug prevent uh, illegalization of well, bug. Very important. This is outrageous. This is outrageous. It is my interview. There's no, there shouldn't be a bug lobby. That's ridiculous. Of course, this bug lobby and what else will promote for great things about bugs. Bugs have many uses. Can use in bug soup. Can use in oh. bug and what? Could uh, you use in uh, bugs in outside? What else you slap with the fly swatter? So many things you can have for bugs. I have made my career making very high tech bugs. Senators. Bugs have have, have this man removed. This is outrageous. Well, he does have some... Yeah, get him out of here. Well, I, he's, well, let's see. What does protocol say? Protocol say you always allow men to speak about bug. Lobby is very important in Washington. But lobbyists always have lots of money. I may have lots of money being a lobbyist. If I have it's description. some money. Mr. White, uh, in, in, on the matter of money, um, are, do you, is, is this really going to be a matter of who, who pays whom more? Or... No. All right. Well, um, should we allow the bug lobby to speak, gentlemen? Well, if he really is a lobbyist with a lot of money, I, I would say we must. A lot of money? True. I don't have any objections to that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I will speak. I, I'm not making arguments for money. Money is a corrupt. Uh, not to talk about money here. Although well, we have lots of money we could present to you once this is passed. Oh, I will right. tell you right now, uh, this is totally against civil rights of bugs. The civil right of the bug is ah. the following. The civil right to the bug is equal to civil right of human being. We present the following argument as against. All right, here is the counter proposal. This is it. What about the bug have the same right as the human? Can well, no, that's ridiculous. As long as the people don't see them. Then the bugs don't bother the people. Bugs should be hidden anyway in the first place. A good bug is always hidden so the person doesn't see it. As long as the bug is hidden, it gets to operate perfectly in uh, secrecy and well and they can do whatever it wants but then when the person see it, they have right to get This is outrageous. Uh, Bugs should not have civil rights. Uh, Insects in general... And arachnids, too, all of them, really should not have civil rights. This is crazy. Well, Mr. White, what's your objection to bugs if you don't even see them? Well, even if I don't see them, they're there and they're gross. If I'm like, there's a gross thing right behind you, aren't you like, I wish that there wasn't? And how do you know it's right behind you if you can't see it? Well, I'm just telling you that it's there. Oh, well, I mean, is there... Don't we have bugs in our eyelashes that we can't even see? Well, I mean, yeah, but they have to leave, too. Look, I believe that bugs have enough intelligence that they will have to respect the law, but not that they have rights as citizens. Bugs have all rights as citizens. Bugs have the same rights as human citizens. Why have human rights as citizens? Nobody can prove that. Why aren't the human allowed to bother the bug? This is a old patriarchal thinking of thinking the human the first, uh, first right over the bug. Why not the bug have the first right over the human? Ha <laughs> ha, it's a hypothetical. That's why we have everybody on even kill. The bugs can do anything they want as long as they don't bother the human. That's right. If you know they're there, then you can kill, you can 
do whatever you want. It's automatic capital punishment for bug. That's right. That's a gambit we offer right out there. But also, if you don't know it, you can't do anything about the bug. You're not allowed to kill any bug you can't see. All right. Well, let me let me get this straight, my friend. I, I'm afraid I, I don't know how to pronounce your name, so I'm not going to try. But you're saying that we allow bugs to do whatever they want at all times. That's yes, that's what I'm saying. And also, as long as we can't as see them. As long as we do not see them. And upon sight, they are breaking the law and we can kill them. That sounds like a good way of presenting the war on bugs. It makes it sort of a guerrilla war on bugs. And we can still sell ways to kill them that we can manufacture in Vermont. That is a good point. Now, let me ask you this, sir. If we were to draw up this legislation, not so much as a law, but rather as a treaty, would you be able to sign on behalf of all insects that they would agree to this law? Of course, I'm president of Bug Lobby. I can speak and represent the bug of all ways. I take upon myself the leadership of Bug Nation. I will sign for bug people and the bug people in peace and harmony with people of United, with the human people of United States. The bug citizens of United States of America are perfectly willing to make human treaty. Well, I, I think it would be unfair for one of us to sign on behalf of all the people because we are elected officials, but Mr. White can sign on behalf of all humans because he's just a random human. Certainly, he represents the people of the country. Oh, are you going to make me sign a treaty with bugs? Uh, yes. That makes perfect logical sense. This makes terrible sense to me. I think it sounds awful. Here I have actually come prepared with treaty. I am expecting victory, uh, and I have ready for signature here. Oh, God. I did. This is a 300-page document I wrote. It took me months to write this. Uh, this is much more compact document. is much more better edited, of course, but also uh, your document, I'm sure, impressive. I'm a professional editor, I'll have you know. How come is professional editor can produce 300-page document to say thing he can say in speech in less than 45 minutes. But because they didn't ask the right questions. There's a lot of information in here about, like, why why arachnids should count as insects for the purposes of this law, things about, uh, uh, about proposed ways that we get uh, you know, pollination of plants happening, and you know, there's a lot going on. I put a lot of thought into this, and you guys are throwing it away for a stupid treaty just because this guy says he has a lot of money. Well, also because of uh, rights and things like that. Yeah, and Jordan, his idea is less likely to ruin the future too. Well, yeah, yeah, the future, of course. We, we we're very concerned about the future of many things. Oh, God. Fine. All right, uh, lobby. Insect man, do you have a pen? Uh, yes, I have come prepared for every eventuality, including bringing pen. Here is pen for you to sign document with. Fine. There you go. All right, thank you. I'll take pen signed myself. And now we have a document signed first treaty between bug people and human people of the United States. Hooray for the people of Vermont. Hurrah! And the military-industrial bug complex. Hooray for the future. Hooray. Gentlemen, gentlemen, to celebrate. Uh, I have brought the recording of something What I am a big fan of uh, recordings of uh, podcast Cast in Vax. Uh, and uh, I have uh, acquired uh, from a, a friend of mine, uh, the late lamented uh, Rory Sinjin, has provided me uh, missing recordings of one of my favorite shows, uh, This Day in History. I thought perhaps, I don't know if anybody, if you listen to this program, we can hear some now. It's my podcast. Oh, you listen to this podcast too? No, that's... Uh... 
Hello and welcome to WHRW's This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. On May 20th, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed into law the Homestead Act. The act gave 160 acres of land to any applicant who was the head of a household and 21 years or older, provided that that person settled on the land for five years and then paid a small filing fee. How exciting. A new homestead for us. I can't get wait to get in there and turn on the lights since I'm coming here at midnight. Come on in, Lucy, my wife, and Benjamin and Eddie, my two children, into our new house so we can look around with the light switched flip. Meanwhile, outside, homesteaders. I hate homesteaders. I'm going to cut their power. <laughs> I don't know why, though, but I hate them. Oh, darling, it's dark. Maybe because electricity hasn't become common in houses yet. Oh, I know. I know why I cut the power now. I saw they had no flashlights, so they'd be lost in the dark forever. <laughs> honey, uh, honey, I can't see. I'm lost in the dark forever. We don't have flashlights because nobody's invented them. Thump, thump. Ooh. Oh, and I've used all the candles already. Ooh, thump. And now for no reason, flesh-eating bats. Ah! This is the worst night ever. Let's go away from the Homestead Act. Let's get President Lincoln. Let's hire an assassin to kill him in the theater. This is the best night ever for me, actor turned assassin, John Wilkes Booth. I also do parties. Unfortunately, flesh-eating bat parties never caught on, although I understand Wilkes Booth did become notorious for something else, apparently. Make sure that you have candles or flashlights in your home in case of a power outage or deranged actor. This is This Day in History on WHRW. I think I was going to say Binghamton. My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And I've just remembered what it was John Wilkes Booth became famous for. Yes, there is another world in which he proposed an amendment to the Constitution which would outlaw all insects forever. A strange law that hinged on the idea that insects would understand the law. What he didn't realize was that insects didn't need to understand the law. Insect lobbyists needed to understand the law. And they, of course, came forward to Mr. John Wilkes Booth and said, John Wilkes Booth, you are metaphorically wandering around in the dark without a flashlight or a candle. It is as though there is a power outage in your sensibleness and without a flashlight or a candle you are unable to see the clear logic that says you cannot outlaw all insects. Instead, we counter-propose that all insects be given equal rights with humans except that those equal rights apply only when humans are not able to see the insects and upon sight of these insects, they will be murdered. This treaty was universally praised. President Lincoln himself said it was a brilliant piece of legislature and applauded John Wilkes Booth for conceding and saying how wonderful this treaty was. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Let's ha- let, let us have three cheers for uh, Mr. Rory Sinjin and Where Are They Now in History. Cheer number one, cheer number two, cheer number three. Well, that's not how we do it in a minute. Ma- oh, that's fine, I suppose. Well, all right. So am I... Can I go? Because I don't, I don't want to... Celebrate insect peace. Um, yeah, I think that we're done with our lawmaking and everything. If you want to go, you, sh- you, you sure can. <sighs> Fine, I'm going back to New York. I have a podcast to run. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. The ladybugs came to the ladybugs picnic. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and they all played games at the ladybug's picnic. Well, they had twelve sacks, so they ran sack races, and they fell on the backs, and they fell on the faces, the ladybug's twelve, at the ladybug's picnic. They played jump rope, but the rope it broke, so they just sat around telling knock-knock jokes, the ladybug's twelve, at the ladybug's picnic. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, ladybug's came to the ladybug's picnic. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and they chatted away at the Ladybug's picnic. They talked about the high prices, furniture and rugs, and fire insurance for Ladybugs, the Ladybugs twelve, at the Ladybug's picnic. I said one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Ladybugs came to the Ladybug's picnic. Twelve.